Hi everyone, my name is Marie Ferguson. I'm the Director of Dietitian Connection and I'm your host today for the Dietitian Connection podcast. forward to chatting with Susie Burrell. Susie is one of Australia's leading dietitians and she's currently the resident dietitian on Channel 7's Sunrise and she has a weekly radio segment on the top rating 2GB afternoon program with Chris Smith. Susie also contributes regularly to numerous magazines including Clio and Woman's Day and she is currently the consultant dietitian at Sydney University Sport, Bellamy's Organic, Zip Border and Australian Bananas. Susie's extremely busy and she, as she is currently completing a master's degree in coaching psychology at Sydney University and is the mother of one-year-old twins. Welcome, Susie. Thanks so much for joining us today. Really appreciate your time and being on the Dietitian Connection podcast. No, thank you for asking me. It's quite an honour. So we'll, we'll go way back and kind of start with the question about why did you choose to become a dietitian? I knew I wanted to be a dietitian when I was 15 and I had seen an article on Holly Frail, who for anyone who works in sports nutrition would be very familiar with her name. And she was in Woman's Day or New Idea and talking about her work with the Brisbane Broncos. And I loved football. I was a massive football fan. Um, I was a Canberra Raiders fan, obsessive fan. And I just thought what a fabulous job working with footballers and, you know, nutrition was interesting. And so I had always planned to study nutrition and dietetics. I studied bio and chemistry at university to prepare and I never really doubted my decision. It was only been later as I get older, I thought perhaps I should have pursued economics. (laughs) (laughs) I think I would have earned a lot more money. But at the time, it was never a, a decision to be made. The only decision I made was when I enrolled in university, Heather Yateman, who is a public health professor now, and she had said to me, you should do a double major. And I, by chance, my dad said, oh, you you thought about psychology, why don't you do that? And so it was one of those things that was always meant to be that I would do both. And from, you know, early 20s, I had become a dietitian. So there was never any question in my mind about what I wanted to do. I never heard you tell that story before. I was, um, I used to work for the Brisbane Broncos when they first started selling merchandise way back in the day. <laughs> I was going to say, could have been you I saw in the magazine, but you were, no. you were just selling the calendars. Yes, that's right. <laughs> See, football always brings everyone together. That's right. Um, so I know you've continued on with studying in psychology. You know, how important do you think having that psych background is in helping you with your work and, and your clients? I think it's everything because, as we know, nutrition is a science, but eating is a behavior. And without doubt, it's given me a huge amount of career longevity and a whole range of different interests. And as I get older, I I look to that. I probably will continue to do research in self-regulation, which is my particular area of interest. I think it has just broadened the opportunity within nutrition and you know, looking at things that I do, like a lot of writing, without doubt, having that background has just provided more opportunity. And if I'm honest with you, Marie, I, you know, the pure nutrition is not my strong point. You know, I like nutrition and it was what I studied, but I like the behavioral aspects of eating mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the the people part of it. And that's what I'm good at. I'm much better with people and, and talking to them. And when I'm with clients, I'm in my element and so I think it, it naturally has steered me towards a career that's very people orientated and behavior change orientated. And that has given me great insight to be able to write about food habits and eating behavior and personality and all those things that, that link the nutrition to real life. And that's really my interest much more than, 
you know, the latest guidelines on iodine recommendations. You know, mm. I, I prefer the people-based stuff mm. um, and that's where the psych links in so powerfully. Yeah, I always say that the behaviour part of what we do is so important and I'm a big advocate for having some joint degrees. Not many people do it, so um, it's great that you no, had that opportunity. You know, I think long-term there's a huge opportunity for incorporating more psychology into basic dietetic training. You know, for the profession to survive, we have to be savvy and I think that is a no-brainer of how to link it because whenever you have you know, dietitians who aren't overly skilled in behavioral change, they struggle. And then you have psychologists who aren't great at weight control. So there is absolutely an opportunity for joint training in that space to develop a real specialization in behavioral change in the area of eating, whether it's mm. eating disorder specific or whether it's obesity specific or general. I think that that will be a, a next step on from studying exercise physiology as part of a dietetics degree. Mm, totally agree with you. So I know you've had quite a varied career path and I don't think you ever worked with the Canberra Raiders, but I know you worked with <laughs> the St. George Dragon. So can you just sort of give us a bit of a background, sort of where you came from to where you are today? You know, I, the first thing I'll say is that none of it was overly planned. It was just opportunities at certain times. You know, I did always have an interest in sports nutrition and I did my sports nutrition training quite early, literally the year after I graduated. And I had always, first of all, worked in a hospital and I worked at Fairfield Hospital and then the Children's Hospital at Westmead in obesity. But simultaneously, I always had a private practice with a sports angle. So I was down at Wollongong and had started with the Illawarra Hawks, who were actually a basketball team. Uh, and I don't think anyone would have gone to as many basketball games as I did. I was, you know, that motivated young dietitian there making the sandwiches, weighing the players and makes me laugh now when I think about the <laughs> level of commitment I had at mm. the age of 24. Mm -hmm. And from there, I actually started working at Sydney University Rugby. I've always actually done more rugby than rugby league, even though rugby league's much more profile. And then I got the job at the Parramatta Eels and had been and was there for close to 10 years. And then for a couple of seasons, because I was in Wollongong and the same strength and conditioning staff looked after the basketball team, I did work with the Dragons for a couple of seasons and that was uh, a great time because the team was really high level. It had Mark Gaznia and Sean Timmons and Trent Barrett and they, they should have won a premiership but they didn't. But it was a great opportunity to work with very high level athletes and I think when it comes to what I tend to specialise in now which is weight loss, when you've worked at athletes at that level and you can see the change in body composition from good diet and exercise prescription you learn a lot about manipulating macronutrients and weight loss. And I think that was, even though it's not what I do now, it was so important in developing that platform. At the same time, I always did a little bit of consulting and I always did a bit of writing. So I'd work at the hospital four or five days and then on in the evenings and on the Saturday have my practice, which would range from lectures to doing sports nutrition to consulting. Um, I had done work at Arnott's and George Western Foods, and then I started to get some industry consulting by chance. And that was taking me sort of, I guess, how many, 10, 8, 10 years in. And then in recent years, I stopped working at the hospital and, and concentrated much more on writing, consulting to industry, still with my private clients and weight loss and specifically hormone disorders. And then I still do a little bit of sports, but definitely it's shifted just by nature of one, what pays well. I guess I've done sports nutrition for a really long time. And so you do get a little bit bored with things. And and just naturally, as I've got older and want to work at home a lot more, it's a lot more consulting. So it's been a very natural progression. I have to be honest, nothing was overly planned. You know, I never had 
the goal of, of doing certain things other than to be a, a sports dietitian very early on. Everything else has sort of just evolved at certain times and um, to where I am now. So it's interesting what crosses your path at certain times. Mm. Um, like, for example, when I'd finished my honours in obesity and psychology, it was that few months later the job in weight management came up at the children's hospital, which is what I'd done my honours in. So that was just timing. So some of those things you just can't control and that led on to a lot of other opportunities in the media and specialising, I guess, in weight loss. Yeah, it's what I always say to sort of new grads is, you know, take those opportunities as they come along. You never know where that will lead to for the next opportunity. Oh, you know what? I never say no. I Mm. never say no. And I still see things and I think, oh, I'd like to do that job. And but what I notice with younger dietitians, they're very they can be quite rigid. You know, even sometimes I'll say, Oh, there's an opportunity to work here and you know, someone will say to me, Oh, it's a bit far from where I live or and I think, Oh, you just mm. obviously don't want it that badly because mm. when I was younger and even now I never say no. Someone could come to me tomorrow and say, Do you want to be the sports dietitian for and I'd be like, Sure, I'm sure I can get it in. <laughs> um, I I just never I loved it, you know, and I never said no and I said yes to everything. And even now a journalist, like my editor emailed me this morning and I had just an hour until we needed to speak. Can you write an article on this? Now if I say no, someone else is going to do it. And potentially they're better than me and I'll lose my job. So, you know, I, I love the opportunity and the excitement of new things and particularly with the media, that's the way you have to work if you want to stay there. Um, and I think that's something I noticed with the younger new grads. They're a little bit more rigid with what they want to do. And that was never my attitude still now. It's, you know, what can I do and when can I do it? Mm. Um, because I, I know that the opportunities are limited and you have to make the most of what crosses your path. So you've mentioned quite a few things there, but are there other things that you think are important that you've learned about running a successful business? Uh, there's no, nothing you can do other than just spend the time on it. You know, if you, whenever you look at self-development literature or the, the particular reference I'm thinking about is Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers, whenever you're top of your game, it doesn't matter what industry it is, it comes down to putting the time in and the hours. And when I think back to when I was a student, my life was just complete nutrition. It's all I read. I remember cu- I used to cut out magazine articles from Rosemary Stanton and Karen Inge, and I had a scrapbook of them. I did too. Like, yeah, it, it was like an obsession. And I, I read so much nutrition that now I can't bear to read it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it was all that I knew and read. And I look at the hours that I would have spent and the hours I've spent in my business and the hours I've spent writing. You know, you can't, you have to spend the time. You're not just good at something, it only comes from time spent. And when I look at the hours and what I've done now, it, it has to explain a certain amount of success because it's there's no substitute for time and commitment to things. Uh, in the business, I think that you have to be really savvy with things. You know, if you look at nutrition, it's changed so much even in the last almost 20 years in which I've worked. You know, going back 10 years, I made half of my money from writing now I'd make 20% because of the shift in technology and I think that will only increase in nutrition because if people can get information online for a fifth of the cost and time they will and that's the way the future is going. So we have to be really on our game about delivering what we know and what we know above and beyond other professionals in a way that is moving with current times in terms of technology and again, I am constantly changing the business to react to that and try and be on the front foot 
when change comes. And the classic example is is Instagram or Facebook. You know, I got a lot of Facebook numbers at a time that Facebook was going well, but I missed Instagram. And I will never be good at Instagram and have the numbers that some of the younger ones mm-hmm. done because mm-hmm. I'm too late. And it's like anything, whether it's online learning, new areas of nutrition, online programs, the people who do well are the first ones to do it. And so that means if you want to be really successful, you have to think, how can I be different and do it first? Because that inevitably predicts a certain level of success. Um, I think the other thing that I've learned, which is probably something that's a bit more private, is that, you know, generally speaking, I've stayed too long in jobs and I should have left earlier but I tend to cling on to the last when really I should see that it's time to move on and change and that's something I do in, in life. But definitely in business, you'd, you've got to know when it's time to change or move on from a contract or change premises or change practices because otherwise you end up staying too long and inevitably it, it leads doesn't lead to a good ending. So, mm. <laughs> you know, that's the other thing. When the signs are there, it's time to change or move on. Um, I think we should always take them because the universe can send some pretty strong messages about when it's time for a change and when things aren't working very well. Yeah, totally. So listen to your gut. (laughs) Yeah, and take those signs. You know, if you're not getting on with certain people or, you know, you're not working well with a strength coach at a certain football club, you know, leave in advance rather than wait till it turns nasty because it's not good to have to try and get out of things when you really knew you should have left earlier. Right. Are there any other habits that you think might have contributed to your success? For example, I know you're the, I call you the time management queen. (laughs) Um, I'm pretty strict with the time because that's our most limited resource. Mm -hmm. And particularly now I've got the twins. Like before I used to have a very nice life where I just do what I wanted and waltz to the gym and had lunch every day. And, you know, now I've got a set number of hours with a nanny. I have to churn out certain amounts of work within certain time limits. So, mm-hmm. you know, time management without a doubt. I think just being very clear with what you're working on. You know, there's not a day that doesn't go by where I have a very clear to-do list. I have a very clear month list. I have a very clear year list, you know, constantly ticking off. One, because I need to for my business to be successful. But two, because it gives clear direction in work. And inevitably, you know, in life, when we don't have clear direction, we just flounder around. And before you know it, weeks, if not months, if not years have gone, and you're still in exactly the same place as you were 12 months ago or five years ago. So that comes, I guess, from studying psych, particularly coaching psych, you know, goal-oriented behavior. And for that, my personality type, that appeals. I'm aware that that's not the right way of working for everyone. But for my personality, I thrive under that very clear goal-oriented performance. And, you know, when I do my signature strengths, which is another great thing for us all to do, you know, achievement is one of my top five important life drivers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, that's in a bit of my psychology um, about what's important to me. And it is important to me. And hence, I am fairly set with the goals I'm working on and what I want to achieve. So um, that, that works for me. So what would a typical sort of week look like for you? Like what different aspects are you juggling within your business? Well, the funny thing is I get asked for work experience all the time and I say to the girls, I'm so sorry, but I sit in front of a computer. <laughs> like there's nothing to see here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, basically I um, I have a nanny two days a week and she'll start at eight and basically I will sit down from eight and usually write from eight till 12 lunch Um and then do more admin in the afternoon. So I like to get up and, and churn out the work in the morning. That may, you know, equate to some media. I might go to Sunrise once or twice a week. 
early, that's early, so that doesn't really impact the working day. Um, I'm constantly online looking at media and news reports to pitch to my editors to write copy up. I may have then specific things to go to, like tomorrow I've got a breakfast for salmon, you know, but that may be once a week an appearance. Most of it is at home in front of the computer. On the days I have the twins, which is two days or three days, I'll, I'll just work for about two hours when they're sleeping and, again, just churn out as much content as I can. And then I see clients two half days, so I'll head over to my rooms in Bondi Junction and do between four and six hours of clients, which is, you know, when I was younger I would do 12 straight. So it's a big reduction as I've shifted um, my focus of the business to much more consulting and writing. Mm. So it's pretty, you know, it's in front of a computer looking for ideas, um, constantly being online. I go on the radio once a week, but most of it is just done at home, responding to new media or running our online program or writing content for my clients. Um, and that's a huge shift, you know, from what you would imagine a dietitian to be doing. But it's it's the kind of work that I I primarily work in. So yeah, it's mm. a lot of computer time really. So you mentioned the twins. Um, I know they've just turned one. Like, are there any other tips on how you manage work-life <laughs> balance other than what you've talked about, you know, the clear focus, you know, dedicated time, any other? Um, I think for a number of years, and I think this is relevant to younger dietitians, I had always planned for my work to be like this when I had children. So it was it wasn't that I had to cut back and be at home. I was working towards being at home knowing that eventually I would have children compared to before when I'd spend two or three days at the clinic and be out most of the time. So I think with the twins, it's about just segregating the time a little more um, aggressively. So, you know, now I've only got these hours to work each day and the rest of the time I'm committed to being focused with them and I try not to be on the phone in front of them. But I'd say to younger dietitians, you know, if you do are planning to have a family in the future, think about how you would like the work to be structured because I am in awe of women who go to work nine to five with young families. I couldn't do it. How they get out the door and get kids to daycare, work, hats off to them. Mm. I couldn't have done that and I definitely couldn't have done it with two. Mm. So, you know, if your goal long term, it's it's quite a good way to think about how I can structure my work to support having a family as well, particularly in those early years when they're not at school and you do want to be really present. So I think it was more I got to a time in my career where I could step back a little bit from from being, you know, at the clinic or um, doing that kind of hospital work where I'd have to be present to being able to spend this time now having a family and being at home in those really key years of them being small. Mm. Um, but you know what? The interesting thing, Marie, is that I would say I've been more productive and had a more successful <laughs> year in my business in the wow. past 12 months wow. than I'd had prior. You know why? Because I yeah. think I'm just more focused because yeah. I have to be and I've yeah. got a reason to do it. Yeah. So you, your career doesn't have to take a set, step back or a second step. It's just being more savvy with how you're doing it mm -hmm. um, because I have had a, a better year than I've had for the several prior even though I'm spending less time in it but it's obviously more efficient and more focused. Yeah, I've heard that time and time again when people spend less time, they actually mm. have more productivity and better outcomes. And just sm working smarter. You smarter. know, I used to waste a lot of time. You know, I used to respond to a lot of media that would take a lot of time for me or I'd used to do things. But now I only do what has to be done and it's better quality, obviously, and I haven't 
missed a beat from that it's been better so it's again funny how naturally Mm. things flow in your favor when you're doing what you're meant to be doing yeah that's terrific and have you had any challenges that you've had to overcome through your career or your business oh so many so many (laughs) (laughs) I think um I've done everything probably twice if not three times ranging from you know where I'm practicing who I'm renting rooms of what accountant I'm using what website host I'm using, you know, I've just done everything two or three times. (laughs) Um, Biggest challenges, I think the two standout things have been finding, you know, rooms to rent that aren't hideously expensive, that there's not issues with the leasing. You know, now finally after almost 20 years I rent with another couple of dietitians. It's not expensive. They're all really nice girls. But, you know, I've had situations where, you know, I've been booted out of rooms and the rent's been doubled and, you know, it it involves that kind of business narkiness that you don't really want to have to deal with as a dietitian. Mm -hmm. So I think you have to be very, very savvy when it comes to private practice, finding the right location, making sure you're in an environment that's conducive to referrals, making sure you're not paying hideous amounts of rent, making sure you're not being controlled by doctors who don't necessarily want you to be successful but won't support you, you know, all of those things. So I think you have to be really careful with with that. I think sometimes we, you know, don't trust ourselves enough to build a strong business and we're relying on medical centres and doctors and I think a lot of us are getting ripped off and I think, you know, I pay less rent now than I ever have in almost 20 years and that's not by chance. You know, that's because I've made a conscious effort to run the business efficiently and, and find the right space. So I think that's important. Mm. Uh, I think challenges, you know, working in the media is really hard because you're so vulnerable, you know, and, you know, most if I get criticism or complaints, it's always from dietitians. <laughs> it's not mm. from the general public. Mm. So, you know, you're very vulnerable when you have a voice um, and I think you have to be pretty tough. Like we've seen in social media, you have to be quite tough. Hmm. But with even within your own profession, because when you are a bit of a tall poppy and stand out, inevitably you leave yourself vulnerable to um, criticism and perhaps jealousy and, you know, that's pretty, you know, hard. So I'm always just waiting for my next complaint <laughs> to deal with. And, you know, that's been the hardest thing of my professional career is dealing with that, thinking why why am I in this position? Well, of course, the good comes the bad. And if you're hmm. going to have your name out there or be speaking across what's perceived as a profession um you are quite vulnerable so that has been my the most challenging thing for me um and I think the other thing is as you get older you you realize what's important and what's not but professionally there was a period where I'd had some complaints made and had to go through some disciplinary action and it was just horrific I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy and you just think god why what if I'd have known this was going to happen I would never have become a dietitian so I think for anyone listening you know keep in mind that when people are, are being public in their statement you know, it's really nothing is benefited from criticising your fellow profession. You know, the profession only does better when everyone's supported and the more people who are out there speaking at a broader level, the better. And we shouldn't, you know, you may not agree, but, you know, making life more difficult for them inevitably will only make it more difficult for you and your profession. So, you know, I think we can all um, support each other really in, in a profession that needs support at this point in time. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I feel like sometimes we are, I don't know whether it's because of our personalities, but a very critical profession and I couldn't agree with you more that we need to be more supportive as a profession moving forward. 
anyone doing well individually is only good for the profession. Um, and when you look out there at what's going on in nutrition and the fact that we're under so much pressure from far less qualified professions, we have to really stand up. And the way we can do that is to stand up together and support others because the more dietitians who are qualified to be writing, whether or not you personally agree with what they're writing is not relevant. The fact that they're a qualified professional with a voice at a broader level, that's what's important because the average person in the suburbs of Sydney has no idea that so-and-so is qualified only from naturopath college or so-and-so is only a chef. All they hear is the message and so we need to have our qualified professionals with the message as the dominant voice. Um, whether you personally agree with what they're saying or not, that's not relevant because the broader message is just eating better no matter what the model is for doing so. Yeah, I agree. So you, we've touched on you being a media dietitian and obviously you've been in the media for quite a number of years, um, being the resident dietitian on Sunrise. How did you get your start in the media? I got my start indirectly through DAA. I was a media spokesperson from 2004. So that shows you it's been a really long time. And then I think because I'm quite flexible and say yes to things, um, I got my TV, I got my name over at Channel 9 and started working on fresh cooking with Pete Evans, (laughs) (laughs) which is really ironic when you think of what's happened. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was doing fresh and I was doing um, some Today Show when Joanna was off but also Kerri-Ann Kennelly's show. So that became my regular. And I did a little bit of freelance for Sunrise and News because there's sort of a handful of, of dietitians they'll call no matter what the channel is. Um, and at the same time, I started to write the Daily Telegraph and then the Sunday Telegraph for a couple of years in Body and Soul, which is kind of the number one, was the number one print format for a dietitian to have their name. So that happened sort of simultaneously in about, between 2006 and 2008 up to 2010. And then in Kerri-Ann's show, Kerri-Ann was an interesting personality and I didn't, even though I had a regular segment and was on two or three times a week, which was really good, it wasn't high rating mid-morning. Most people don't really see it. Um, And I I liked Sunrise, so I went, I spoke to Michael Pell, who's the EP of Sunrise, and said I wasn't overly happy at, at Channel 9. Would he consider having a segment? And he said, sure, you know, because I knew him as well. And it was actually at Sunrise I met my husband who is on the radio and his background is in the media. So through that um, I am now on Sunrise reasonably regularly. And the thing with TV is it's really difficult to get content up on television, really, really difficult. So whenever I can get a segment on Sunrise, and usually it's their segment calling me, I don't get much of my own pictures up. Um, it's a big win because it's really hard to get it on there. And so, you know, I, I love doing it. Channel 7 is a really nice place. It's close to my house. The people are nice. My husband works on Sunrise. Um, it's like your little family. And I've been there now seven years, so, you know, quite regularly. And then I have the radio segment that is my husband's show. <laughs> There's got to be some benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I write news.com because news.com is the number one site. And for me, what's important about my media work is that people read it and watch it. And so if I write an article for news.com and it goes to the top of the page, that means a huge number of people out there are reading nutrition information and that is a big win. So, you know, writing is great, but it's even better when people read what you're writing. (laughs) Mm. So I really focus on those key targets 
um, because they're where the big messages are going to be going out and getting good information out to the public. So that was kind of the general span. And then with TV, they'll ring up for comment on news and things that happens. Um, but they're the main regular gigs that I, I work on. And we've been lucky lately. Sunrise have been putting quite a lot of nutrition on. So we've got to keep fingers crossed that continues because it's, mm. it's definitely very difficult. There's, you know, in, on a, just for information, on a breakfast television show per day, there's about two free segment spots you're going for out of mm. all the news that's out there. Mm, so wow. they'll say the spot at 10 to 9 or the spot at 20 past 8, maybe one at 7, maybe three per show. Com- imagine all the other people with vested interest who are competing with mm. news items. So for us to get nutrition up, it's a big, big win. Wow. And am I correct that usually people aren't paid for those appearances? <laughs> it depends how savvy they are. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, no, if it's – you're right. For print media, generally you're paid um, for a big site. Radio, you're not paid. Um, and radio do- doesn't have what – well, don't have the money. Say they don't have the money. Um, television is, is very variable. You have to go in and negotiate your agreement. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't work for free, but mm-hmm. I did for many years. So I think it depends on the level that you're at and if they want you as well. Mm-hmm. So when you're approached as their person and they want you and they also don't want you to be going on another station. Mm. So as part of my arrangement, I couldn't go on the Today Show. Not right. that I would, of course, because it's my friend. But if if Joanna was away and they said to me, can you come and do a segment for Today? And they do ring sometimes. I couldn't mm-hmm. do that because mm-hmm. my agreement is that I work on Sunrise. Now, that doesn't elude me to other shows on the network, just that morning spot, but that's my arrangement. So mm-hmm. it's very individual. And it's, you have to be quite savvy and, you know, negotiate your terms. So for example, if you got called up to do a segment on Sunrise and asked to be paid, they wouldn't pay you. Yeah. But if, if they got to know you and you were doing it regularly, you'd be in a position to ask for that. So, mm-hmm. you know, but also you have to be good. <laughs> yeah. You know, you have to be really good at, at live television and it is quite a specific skill. And, um, you know, you have to, I guess, practice to get there. So I worked on television for probably, five or six years before I got paid. I never got paid for fresh. I never, I got paid on Carrie Ann, but I never got paid on random appearances at Channel 9. Mm. So, you know, it, it, you've got to do your groundwork, I guess, to be in that position to negotiate payment. Right. Mm. And we're just about out of time, so I was wondering if we could end with an interesting fact about <laughs> yourself. <laughs> well, I asked my husband this again last night and mm. um, I thought I'm actually really quite boring. <sighs> interesting <laughs> interesting fact about myself, you know, Marie, I'm actually really, really messy. Like <laughs> for someone who has so much going it's on. so organised. Like, <laughs> and would appear to be very organised. Yeah. I am like so messy. If you looked at my handbag <laughs> or my car or my desk, it just looks like a bomb has hit it. So mm-hmm. that's probably something I'm not very proud of and mm. he threatens to take photos of my mess. <laughs> the other thing is that I just love trashy, trashy television. <laughs> like I cannot get enough Housewives or Vanderpump Rules or any crap. Like I don't read nutrition journals when I'm in my downtime. I watch crap on television <laughs> and it's usually like with tea eating junk food. Like isn't that <laughs> disgusting? <laughs> so, you know, on one hand, um, life is very structured and exercise friendly and full of salads. 
But on the other, <laughs> there's a real, you know, part of me that just loves anything American, trashy, and white flour and sugar. Yeah, that's <laughs> so, balance, um, right? Perhaps different to what I, I can't fake on Instagram to be a, <laughs> a um, person who's always taking photographs of their acai bowls. I can hardly put my cake on the Instagram. <laughs> so, yeah, perhaps not as pure as it may come across. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Susie. It's been a pleasure chatting with you today. Um, even though I spent some time with you, I learned some new things today. So thank you so much for being on the Dietitian Connection podcast. We really appreciate it and uh, hope everyone will join us for a future episode. Uh, thank you for having me. I hope that it's been insightful to people and, and useful for young dietitians listening. It certainly has. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you as well to all the listeners for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. As always, we love receiving your feedback and also would love to hear what you think of the show. So if you could leave a review for us and also pass this podcast on to your colleagues and friends, it would be much appreciated. Thanks again and we'll see you next time for another episode of the Dietitian Connection Podcast.